This is exactly right. And it doesn't make you less than or weak or a bad parent to say out loud that this is not fair. This feels lonely. This feels sad. This is more than I can handle. I admire people that say that because it takes a strong person, a strong mom, a strong dad to admit that those things are true. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, With increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Manifesting Mom with our guest, Rachel Pasteloff. Hello. Rachel is a certified coach living in the greater Los Angeles area. She creates content on multiple platforms that reflect the work and ideas that she is most passionate about in society. Rachel has two sons, and her oldest has a rare genetic disorder, Prader-Willi syndrome, and a dual diagnosis of autism. Rachel advocates for her son as well as many others through her work online. She began her path with health and wellness to create a better life for her family, and then it became her passion. She became a certified yoga coach many years ago and is a graduate of the Institute for Integrative Nutrition as a health and wellness coach. She works with men and women who are struggling with toxic relationships and addictions, and she is passionate about writing, photography, and her new website to share her work that she is creating. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So let's start with the road to becoming a manifesting mama. Wow. Um, The road to becoming a manifesting mama. We like to start small, like just really small questions like this. Yeah. I would say that I didn't begin when I became a mom, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. And I would say that it didn't begin even with uh, my son's diagnosis. I would really say that it it would be like my teenage years mm-hmm. as a mom, meaning mm-hmm. maybe Blaze, my oldest, would have been about seven, and my youngest would have been about five. So it took a long time with training wheels, and I think it happened when I spoke the words out loud for the first time that I was allowed to say that it's hard Mm. or I was allowed to say that I was struggling because I did not allow myself to say that. And you don't need a special needs child to say that, right? Right. Right. Anybody can say that. Mm -hmm. But I think Mothers in particular, and special needs mothers, even more specifically, tend to say, oh, but, you know, it's all about the child. It's all about the child. 
Mm-hmm. So when I started saying, but I, I, I kind of need, I need a life too. Mm. And that's when everything changed. What got you to the point of realizing that it's okay to say this is really hard and that you, that you actually matter <laughs> as much as your child? I think many moments of stuffing it down, mm-hmm. you know, um, when a new family is diagnosed, whether I have a lot of people that will be like, oh, my cousin's neighbor has a baby with Prader-Willi or a friend has a child diagnosed with autism or Down syndrome. Um, we're all a family. Like, I mean, my Prader-Willi family is so tight, but my special needs family as a whole, like we are all a family. And so whenever I meet somebody who has a new diagnosis, I always give them one huge piece of advice. And that is allow yourself to grieve, grieve in the beginning, um, grieve for the loss of the life you thought you were going to have grieve for the child that you had envisioned grieve for all of those things. Because if you don't grieve for them now, you will grieve for them later in the form of health problems, a nervous breakdown, all of these things. Also, if you don't grieve for those things, you don't make room to appreciate and welcome what it is you do have. Mm -hmm. Because you're so busy just like stuffing it down, stuffing it down, stuffing it down, which is in many ways what I did until I hit a wall. I just mm-hmm. hit a wall. Yeah. And um, I think I spoke out loud for the first time, probably to my sister. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really hard. You know what? It's not just him that's suffering. And then once you do that, the floodgates kind of open. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, oh, wait, I, I get to say this. I get to say this, Joe. Mm-hmm. And I also gave permission for my then husband, now ex-husband, and my youngest to say it too, because I didn't allow them either. Mm -hmm. And the freedom it gives everybody. Right. You know, we know in regular, in in neuro, we'll be talking about neurotypical and neurodiverse, um, as you are um, raising one of each. Mm -hmm. Um, We, these, we, we come in all different shapes and sizes. Uh, We know that regular parenting these days, whatever that is, right? Neurotyp- parents of neurotypical kids tend to really invest themselves into their kids. And mm-hmm. one of the premises of and purposes of the show is this idea that we need to be healthy ourselves to raise healthy kids. And so yes. we know the pressure upon us parents, caring parents in today's culture and society mm-hmm. for these kids that are neurotypical. Um, and for everyone listening, neurotypical is the appropriate word for the not appropriate word normal that has been used for so long. Mm -hmm. And what is it, Rachel, about, from your experience, parents of special needs or neurodiverse kids, it's almost like it goes to a whole nother level of needing to put yourself even less than with a neurotypical child. Right. Is that accurate? From your experience? I think that's 100% accurate. Um, I think nowadays in general, um, so that everybody feels included, neurodiverse and neurotypical, it is really hard being a parent nowadays. Mm -hmm. So I give grace to everyone. Um, 
that being said, um, when you have a neurodiverse child, um, whether they have a life-threatening condition like my son, or maybe they don't have medical issues, but they are severely autistic, um, nonverbal, um, there's no off button mm -hmm. for you. So um, we don't sleep well. You know, um, even though school is a break, kinda, you, every day you're still waiting for a phone call, checking your phone to make sure the teacher didn't text or the school didn't text that something hasn't gone wrong. Um, there's always a sense of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. So that makes it incredibly hard to go out and live a life. Yes. I, the best example I could give you is, um, you know, when I got divorced, it's, it's incredibly hard to build and find a relationship when it's not, you know, you have a teenager, but they function like a five-year-old. Mm -hmm. So there's not a lot of room for putting yourself first, mm -hmm. but the irony is if you don't take care of yourself, right, then you can't take care of them. So it's exactly, it's exactly the true analogy of the double edged sword. Totally. And just please say that one more time for everyone to hear. If you don't take care of yourself, if you don't, if you don't take care of yourself, it's like I said before, um, it, it will, it will get you eventually. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's, it, it can't just not be, not be ignored. And typically it comes out in, um, health problems, you know, right. Things, the body, your body will let you know that you need to pay attention. As we say, the famous <laughs> trauma book, The Body Keeps the Score, the body keeps it the score, which, always does. What a beautiful book that is. I love that yeah. book. Yes. Yes. And for um, all those listening at, in terms of just for community and to help people who might be at the beginning of their journey with special needs to help them with health, we it's just been documented time and time again, the, the high incidence of autoimmune and related issues that parents uh, and particularly mothers of special needs kids get over the course of raising them. I, I'm not the best at giving myself grace, but I can pile grace on others. And if I could say anything to all your listeners and fathers as well, um, you know, it is true that typically mothers in the, in the United States, I can't speak to globally, tend to bear the brunt of a lot of it. But there are a lot of amazing single dads, um, as well as dads in relationships mm -hmm. and grandparents doing yeah. this work. Um, but um, give yourself grace because... Mm -hmm. It, I, let me backtrack. For those of you that are religious, this is not an offense to religion, but there are two statements that I, that I find comp at this point really offensive and just maddening um, and things to never say to a special needs parent. Um, God only gives you what you can handle hmm. because that is the most, that is the farthest from the truth. Um, we handle it because we don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. So we just step up and do what we have to. Mm -hmm. And then when they say, you must be, you must be special. 
Um, it makes sometimes it's a lot of pressure on us to feel like we're like superhuman. Mm-hmm. And and most of us feel like inside like we're failing. We're like, oh, it's, I'm not doing this right. So um, we were given what we were given. Our children were given what they were given. And the vast majority of us, we just step up. You know, it's not mm-hmm. that it's not that we're any different. And and I promise to the people that are saying us that you would do the same. Right. Um, and also studies have been done repeatedly. Um, and this is fact. And I know a lot of people throw around um, the term PTSD, mm-hmm. but I trust Harvard. I'm a big fan of Harvard. Um, Harvard did a very, you know, a long, a longitudinal study on parents of children with autism and absolutely discovered that they um, suffer from PTSD. I know that I have PTSD as many Prada Willie parents do. I'm mm-hmm. more like CPTSD, mm-hmm. um, as well as many, many with health problems. Right. It, it really is like walking through a minefield every day. Because at any moment, a bomb's going to be dropped. It's going to be a meltdown. There's going to be um, a, a medical problem or something. And your body just can't physically live like that every day. No. You no. know, so if you are a special needs mom or dad or grandparent listening and you are feeling bad because you feel like you're not doing enough or you, you're feeling run down, it's because you're human. Yeah. And your body isn't meant for this. Right. Right. We've had uh, several shows uh, related to autism. This is our first show related to where we're speaking about Prader-Willi syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I said it backwards, I believe, on the intro. Did I say it no, backwards? No, you said it correct. Did I? Because I was focused yeah. on, good. I was focused yeah. on, um, I've always called it uh, Prader-Willi. And I heard in one of your interviews, it can be also called prader Willie as well as Prater Willie. So if it makes you feel any better for yeah. a solid 10 years or more, I said Prater. And a lot of people do. Okay. I think it depends kind of like where you are in the country. Okay. Well, Prater sounds very sophisticated. So exactly. um, <laughs> hell, educate us about this rare genetic condition. Okay. So Prater Willie syndrome is um, a rare genetic disorder. Although you might see people put one in 24,000. It's really like one in 12,000 or one in 15,000. There's a global condition affects boys and girls evenly. And it um, specifically has to do with the 15th chromosome. You can get Prader-Willi syndrome one of two ways. My son um, did not receive the 15th chromosome from his dad when in conception. Um, In everyone, the 15th chromosome, the maternal allele is dormant. So if you don't get it from the dad, it's like you don't have it at all. The other type of Prader-Willi syndrome, um, you get where you get three 15th chromosomes, which is not conducive with life. The body always kicks one out and it kicks out the daddy. So then you have two female. Again, it's like it's not there. On that chromosome, there's a whole lot of genes. So their whole body is disrupted. Most notably, when people talk about Prader-Willi syndrome, they talk about the hunger, which the clinical term for that is hyperphagia. So people with Prader-Willi syndrome children and adults have hypothalamus dysfunction. Your hypothalamus is the central part of your brain, controls hunger, thirst, mood regulation, temperature regulation. Um, When you and I, um, a uh, typically developing human without Prader-Willi, feel hunger, it comes from our stomachs, hormones, ghrelin, things like that. A Prader-Willi individual has hunger 
that comes from the brain. It's physiological. So in the same way that uh, your brain and, and my brain are telling us to breathe right now, and we don't know it, their brain is consistently sending a signal to them that they are starving. Um, there is no feeling of fullness ever. They, mm. And it's quite painful. It's not just like a little hunger. 24-7, um, even when they are sleeping, they feel like they are starving to death. So, and pair that with intellectual disability, um, it becomes quite complicated. So like in my house, um, you know, and in all houses, everything is locked. Uh, kitchens, uh, if you don't have a door in your kitchen, which I don't in this house, but refrigerators are padlocked. All food is locked up. Everything is locked up. Um, they will do anything to get uh, food. They will eat anything. Um, if left in an unsecure food environment, they would eat until um, their stomach ruptures and it's not that simple. Um, it mm. can only expand so much. It becomes right. necrotic. It usually takes about two days. It's a very unpleasant experience. We lose a lot of children that way mm. or through choking, um, or adults that way. Um, previously, uh, before growth hormone came into play, Prader Willie is the leading cause of obesity in mm. seen in genetics clinics because they have such low muscle tone. So they essentially have like no muscle tone. So um, muscle burns fat, fat doesn't burn fat. So for every 100 calories you and I burn, they would burn like one. So they're very short in stature, small hands and feet, and typically morbidly obese. Nowadays, they have growth hormones. So my son is already like two inches taller than me. And you know, he's like a husky kid, but healthy. A lot of kids are super skinny. Um, but Obviously, um, if not well-managed and if not on growth hormones, you know, um, obesity is another complication to this, but mm -hmm. it's, it's really unfair. I think it's quite possibly one of the cruelest science fiction things out there that can happen to somebody that you're essentially trapped at prison in your body. And if you could think about a time when there's not food, because now it's everywhere. You go to the doctor's office, they have candy. Even at the dentist's office, there's like lollipops and all the commercials on TV are food. And everywhere you go, there's restaurants. And when you're at home, there's food. At friends' houses, there's food. So imagine feeling like you are starving to death and all you want to do is eat and you can't escape it. So it's, it's a very tough thing. That's the external, right? That's the external um, environmental modification. What about for Blaze to be able to tolerate being hungry all the time? How how does that? Get um, it or doesn't. Managed? They they learn to live with it. It's uh, mm. that's why it's so cruel. And um, additionally, you can't just like feed them whatever they want all the time. So. There's very, I mean, even with mm -hmm. Blaze, um, he's acquired a lot of intense GI problems over the years. So, you know, we have to, we eat specific times. We can only eat some, there's, it's not like these kids are like, I'm hungry. And you're like, well, I'll keep the food locked up, but I can keep doling it out. Um, so it's pretty restrictive <laughs> as well as, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm as well as just the sadness that especially when they're young and they're crying to, they're crying, they're begging you for food. It is mm 
heart wrenching. And now I'm used to it. You know, you become, he becomes used to it and I become used to it. So I'm like, no, we're not getting any food right now. But for other people, they're like, oh my God, but he's so hungry. And you're, and I'm like, don't you dare give him any food. Um, Because it's all we know. Like when I go to someone's house and there's no lock on the fridge, I'm like, yeah, there's no lock on the fridge. That's so weird because that's all we know. How would you then, what's the layering of autism onto Prodder Willie? What, you know, what does that, what does that add to the So back in the day, autism used to be diagnosed, right, as Asperger's, classic autism, and then PDD-NOS, which was the most curable kind of autism. Pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified. We kind of called it the kind of the garbage can diagnosis when people don't exactly know what's going on. Now, to clarify, as with many genetic disorders, but uh, Prader-Willi has a lot of um, autistic-type behaviors and manifestations, okay? So, but... I still knew that I just always knew because I had worked with autistic children before my son was born. And um, so I still kind of knew. So about six months after he was diagnosed with Prader-Willi and he was a very late diagnosis, which even, you know, he was born in 2007. Even back then, that was, he, was, he was diagnosed at 32 months, which was very late. Um, and there's a whole host of reasons for that. But, um, but I still knew. And so... When he was diagnosed, we lived in Georgia, the Georgia Prader-Willi community. We, they're still my family. They're still my my heart. And um, we would have an annual mm-hmm. picnic every year. And it's so easy to tell which of the kids have the dual diagnosis of autism. Um, because Prader-Willi children um, are very much like uh, a lot of Down syndrome children in this respect. Really social, in your face. Eye contact is great. They want to talk to you. Um, and that is not... Now, Blaze will talk to you, but good luck getting him to look at you in the eyes. And it's not a reciprocal conversation. Um, There's, you know, Mm -hmm. um, to me, very clear manifestations of things that, you know, could be Prader Willie, but I know they're more, you know. I mean, I am his mom and I'm the closest person in the world and I have to literally hold his face and say, look at me in the eyes because he will not. There's no eye contact. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and it does affect, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it it depends the level of, you know, um, intellectual disability, sensory issues. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it's just another layering on top of something that's already incredibly complicated. (laughs) It's another layering. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to loop back to something you said earlier, which is mm-hmm. about the grieving process. And I heard you say that in another interview of yours that I was watching. And it, um, I, I'd like us just to spend a, another moment on it for for our folks listening is because I think this relates to the those first seven years you talk about. It's like, no, we got this. This is fine. We're going to do this. And there's this belief that if we actually acknowledge that this is not what we signed up for. This is not what we had hoped for. This is not what we wanted, that, that, that there's something wrong with us for having that. And yet, as you eloquently state, it's essential for moving on. I'm sure you've heard of the poem, Welcome to Holland, right? So I can't recite the whole poem. 
Tell everyone, tell everyone about that. But everyone who's got a child diagnosed with special needs is yeah. told about this poem. Essentially, a family is taking a trip. They're supposed to be going to Italy, and they're all excited. They plan their trip. They're on the plane, and they end up in Holland. And the end of you know, and they're very disappointed. But then they get off, and they look around, and they see the tulips, and everything is beautiful. And they're like, "Oh my goodness, this is so great! I love Holland. What was I so upset about?" Um, and in many ways, yes, that is true. Um, but none of us, whether we're the dad or the mom carrying the baby, are thinking, gee, I really hope my kid has a terrible genetic disorder that they're going to suffer for the rest of your life. Everybody wants a healthy baby. You know, everybody wants that. And mm-hmm. nobody is like, oh, thank you, doctor. I'm so excited for this diagnosis. It's wonderful. Um, but we all so many of us do that. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's a beautiful, it's a blessing. It's a beautiful, it's a blessing. And they are a blessing, mm-hmm. but it's not what you planned for. And it doesn't make you less right. than or weak to admit that. And it doesn't make you less than or weak mm-hmm. or a bad parent to say out loud often that this is not fair. And uh, this feels lonely. This feels sad. This is more than I can handle. Mm-hmm. And I, in fact, I admire people that say that because it takes a strong person, a strong mom, a strong dad mm-hmm. to admit that those things are true. Yes, it, it it actually takes a manifesting mom to do okay. that. Um, and I want to read a f- some of your words because they uh, they were inspiring me. They fired me up. And they are this. A manifesting mom is the woman who gets out of bed and faces the day every day knowing that it will be filled with immense challenges. Has the ability to love all those around her, even though she has given every ounce of what she has left inside her. Will cook a meal for her family with love, even if it is made with limited resources in a tiny kitchen. Sticks it out with her partner when times get rough. Faced with the unknown, she still stays strong like a rock. Takes her health into her own hands and takes back her life, even when the doctors tell her it's a forever diagnosis. And that this manifesting mom can be any mom, single or married, old or young, rich or poor. Finally, a manifesting mom is in charge of her life. She is inspired. She creates. She loves. And most importantly, she And we can put dads in there, too. We can put dads in there, too. (laughs) We can. We can. We can. Yes. Um, But those are, that's powerful. That's powerful. Um. And it takes a ton of courage mm-hmm. to live that way. Uh, courage and strength. Mm-hmm. And I would say um, vulnerability and of there, as well. Um, when I had written that, obviously, I was married at the time. I'm no longer married. Um, and a quick touch yep. on that is that in the Prada Willie community, it's a very high percentage of, of partnerships don't last. Um, 
And a lot of special needs families um, don't make it. And for a myriad of reasons. Um, But I implore, especially mothers, to remember that you don't need to stay in any kind of toxic space, be it work, be it a partnership, or be it anything, because you feel like your ability to care for your special needs child depends on it because mm-hmm. they it doesn't and they don't. And so um, there is a freedom mm-hmm. with saying out loud that, um, you know what? I can make this work and I don't need to stay in this place. And I see more special needs moms mm-hmm. in particular um, mm-hmm. stay because they feel like they can't do it alone. And it's not easy. Um, and sometimes you got to move into a little tiny house like I did mm-hmm. and give up a whole lot of things, but we find ways to make it work. It is complicated, and um, to show grace for everyone in these situations, uh, those are really tough decisions because what we're talking about here is the reality of um, the massive amount of time and energy and resources and patience and everything that goes with raising, treating, supporting a special needs child. So that's very real. And this very real life of an individual human wanting to have love and not be in toxicity or be around addiction or abuse or conflict, whatever the myriad of issues are, both of those needs and having to make, yeah, and having to make some tough decisions. I, um, I've always been a big dreamer. So I actually, uh, through my sister, I, she has a friend and he doesn't know it yet, but I am, I will be reaching out to him because I have some ideas for some legislation I would like to put into place. So I've always been a big dreamer, um, in that respect, but we mm. in the United States and I don't, again, I can't speak to globally, but in the United States, we live in a culture where we touched on this earlier, typically things befall the mother. Um, and I remember when we saw Blaze's, his specialist, his, the Prader Willie doctor that we were with for years, she, I remember her giving my husband the speech, um, about too many families where ev- the mother was made to do everything, handle everything. And then God forbid the mother passes away. The father is left not knowing what to do and who suffers. The child suffers, um, but also in the process of that, the mothers are suffering. Um, many times um, people say, mm-hmm. well, but you're the mother. That's your job. And so you have that with normal mother, you know, normal, but mothering a, you know, neurotypical kid and then amplify that times a million. That is a lot of pressure on a woman, a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and The reason I brought up the legislation Mm -hmm. is I happen to live in a state where there are some resources available, but most states do not offer 
any resources for a parent to be a caregiver. There is no help. So most people, you know, I was a social worker in Pennsylvania and child welfare. It's really hard. You know, you're in the middle of a big case and, oh my God, my son needs to go to the hospital or the school's calling or, um, it's incredibly challenging. You have to have a, a really right. um, compassionate employer who's willing to um, know that you're going to have to leave many times early mm -hmm. or you might have to call out. And there isn't a lot of help right. from state level, local right. or federal in no. the majority of states. There's not. And you and I are both in California. And mm -hmm. I, let's just speak a little bit more about this because it's a really important point. And uh, my wife is a public health nurse um, and works with the um, uh, pediatric community with, you know, special needs at levels and, um, Im, you know, with immigration and second language and third language. You know, it's like layers upon layers. And one of the resources that in this state, which you were referring to, is that a parent can, their job, they can be paid to be the caretaker for their kids that require around-the-clock care, which prohibits them from being able mm -hmm. to work. And a lot of times, right, people don't think about this. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do you care for a kid and make a Incredibly. living? It's very, very difficult it's with special needs kids. It is so incredibly hard. There's, um, I, mm -hmm. I feel so much sadness for a lot of my friends. Um, and, and I went through this myself. I mean, um, in Pennsylvania, I was able to get home health care. Um, but she left at five. So I, I worked in the, um, abuse department, you know, in the, in the abuse mm -hmm. unit for a long time. And, there would be many days where I was not making mm -hmm. it home and it's the, that adds a whole nother layer of stress and anxiety onto you. Um, worrying if you're going to get fired because you have mm -hmm. had to miss so mm -hmm. many days for so many things. Um, mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. enough mm -hmm. money to support a child that might be medically fragile. Um, in Georgia, you have to fight incredibly hard mm -hmm. just to get, full Medicaid for your child, um, just to get full Medicaid, not, not any kind of support resources, um, just to get the kind of Medicaid that your child can get the services that they, that they need. Um, we put parents through a lot when I, I just, um, I wish that people as a whole knew a lot of times they they'll see someone, there's a lot of conversation I think people think that well that like welfare and food stamps pay a lot in any state. They do not anywhere. Um, for instance, in Pennsylvania, um, like a family of uh, three, a mother with two children, at the top end, at the max max, might get four hundred dollars a month for food. I, so there's not a whole lot of people just living off the system. Living off the system. Um, so I, I have a lot of Prader Willie moms that live in other states that rely on social services from the government. And so I I wish people had compassion and understanding that, first of all, nobody's like just milking the system there. And that still isn't even the tip of anything that they need. Transitioning to another theme of your work. Uh, and your, your writing and your speaking is the complexity mm -hmm. of raising mm -hmm. a neurodiverse and a neuro 
typical child. And something that you have said is that this diagnose, and this is what you came to. Mm-hmm. I think this is what you also came to as you were becoming a manifesting mom is that diagnosis is for the whole family and it's having a, a, a compassion for everyone involved in the family so I don't, and the situation. I, I don't know how, you know, the, the breakdown, the demographic of, your, of all your listeners, but I would imagine that there are many that have, you know, a neurotypical and a neurodiverse child or more than one of each. And it took yes. a yes. long time mm-hmm. for me to understand the impact of Blaze's diagnosis on his brother and his little brother. Because I thought, well, little brother was born into this. That's all he knows, yada, yada, you know, and Blaze is the one suffering. Um, And so in turn, we actually made a lot of mistakes. And the biggest mistake that we made with with my youngest is we overindulged him so much because we didn't want him to suffer. Um, anything and everything he wanted mm-hmm. emotionally mm-hmm. or mature, you know, like, and that came back to bite us and in, in the, in the hiney really, really hard. Um, and also just not understanding what it is like to, to be the sibling and be seven years old and think that your sibling is going to die in the hospital tonight on more than one occasion. That's a lot of trauma for a child Um, or for a child just to be around these severe meltdowns on a regular basis. That's a lot of trauma. Um, Or when they start to become Mm -hmm. young, Mm -hmm. young people trying to fit in when they're in like, third and fourth grade and they're in the same school as their sibling and they're seeing people making fun of their sibling. There's so many layers of that's hard being in public and their siblings doing something like, you know, I am yeah. a, I am a big weirdo. Blaze is definitely a big weirdo. He does a lot of weird stuff. That's hard on a sibling who's trying to find who they are and be themselves in the world. Um, yeah. And, there are families with kids who are really, you know, way more severe than my child. And it's really traumatic for the siblings. And a lot of, and, and, you know, one of my dearest friend, like Mm -hmm. it's really hard on her kids. And I I have a lot of families. I know that their kids, when they move away, Mm -hmm. they, they struggle to come back home even for visits because they, they, they've reached the max of, what they can deal with. Um, and it seems cruel. Yeah. If you're on the outside, you're like, but that's your sibling. Mm-hmm. But once you really sit and think about it, you have to have compassion for them. They, they go through a lot too. Yes. And sometimes they're, it's just the acknowledgement. There, there, there often aren't answers to these things. Like, it's just the acknowledgement, the labeling it, right. That this is, this is what it is. Uh, because if we don't label things and we don't, aren't honest with ourselves or allow ourselves to feel, as you said, it just has other negative consequences Mm -hmm. that are not needed on top of all of the other regular challenges of raising complex 
special needs kids? I mean, the easiest way to put it is uh, life is not a Hallmark movie for everyone. So not everyone's sibling is going to grow up to be a special Mm -hmm. needs teacher and love all special needs children. And so for the for many of us, it's like at first we're like, what's wrong with her? Because why doesn't my 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 kid love his sibling like that? Because um, yeah. life is not a Hallmark movie, you yeah. know. And <laughs> no, that's a yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would say for people like it, that's that might sound kind of harsh and not totally uplifting, but. I think it's important that we just acknowledge that because it makes life easier when we're aware that life can be hard. Mm -hmm. Life is not cinema most of the time. And um, I think it's that, that truth that you're speaking, Rachel, that helps give the courage to get through those tough days Mm -hmm. because you're embracing it. Mm -hmm in real time, in real, real life. I need us to transition to the parent footprint moment question. Here we go. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself, either as an individual, as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your kid's life, and or those you love? I, I would say that when, when I left my marriage and I took the giant, huge leap to move 3,000 miles away, um and start over and once i realized that i was doing it it was such an incredible feeling i can remember distinctly saying to my sister mm. i cannot believe i finally did it and despite the fact in in spite of not having a big house not having all the things I want, living in the middle of nowhere. I am happier than I have been in so long. And with that happiness, Mm. also, Mm. despite thinking I always had a voice, came another level to my voice and an honesty because I thought "I I can do this, which enabled me also to create a space for others. Because I am always willing to say the things that I know other people want to mm-hmm. say and they can't. And yes, it does. And I... It runs in your family. Truly <laughs> believe that when I acknowledge the fact that I could do this, and for those listening, just be clear. Mm-hmm. It was a, it took a long time and planning and everything. It wasn't like, and I don't come from money. Believe me, I'm not rich. Um, So it wasn't an overnight thing. Um, But when I realized that I could do it and, and I did it in the last two and a half years, I have 
grown and become, I think, the best, most, um, the best version of myself as a mom in particular than I think I ever was before. And some of that mm. comes with age, but I think a lot of that comes with getting to a place where yeah. once you realize that you have the courage to do the really big things, you're like, I can, I can do this. I can do this. And yeah. that opens up so many doors in your life for yourself emotionally um, with your, with your extended family, mm -hmm. with your other children, um, professionally, romantically. And, um, mm -hmm. it was a long time coming, but I really think that was one of the really, a, a pivotal thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And, uh, for those who cannot see Rachel's face like I can <laughs> as she's describing this, uh, it, she's lighting up. Like they're just like you just lighting up. Um, so the, I mean, talk about courage and uh, leap of faith and vulnerability and risk taking. Um, but there's an important piece to all of that. There's one thing yeah. that I that I mm -hmm. implore any of your listeners who are special needs. Moms, dads, grand, even grandparents, aunts, uncles, anyone, find your community. Mm -hmm. I would not be where I am without my community. Find your community yeah. because we are not meant to do this alone. Period. Yes. Yes. Period. Period. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's inspiring. That is inspiring, everyone. You can do what you need to do, mm -hmm. especially in the context of your people and your community. And um, other, another, we're winding down, but I just want to add something you also talk about is asking for help. And, you know, that, that is related to all of this. Of course, it's, we do not have to be strong and think we can do it all on our own. We can't, it just doesn't work that way. And there's so much power and compassion with like-minded mm -hmm. people who share the same and cause. The, the most successful experience. people in the world, as I've listened to, you know, if you think about people, I don't know, whoever yeah. the most successful business people are in the world, they will always tell you that whether it's personally or professionally, the smartest people in the world always ask for help. All right. We're dropping the mic with that one. Rachel, thank you so much for sharing your life experience and wisdom with us. Tell everyone where they can find your writing, your speaking, so, your website, um, your coaching, all of the good stuff. Most everything, as of lately, I have been posting on my Instagram, which is just my name, Rachel Pasteloff. Um, I also, I also have a TikTok. Um, which is under a different name, my secretive name. <laughs> um, but that one is um, mm. That Blonde Mom. And um, I'm sure that I'll give you the links and everything. But um, <laughs> I, I'm actually working on yes. a podcast with another Prada Willie Mama. 
Um, but nice. those are the two places nice. right now while the other website and everything are being built. I still have my manifestingmom.com website, but all of the new writings and everything are going to be transferred over to the new the new website. And um word to the wise, I um I curse. So if you are offended by cursing, just be warned in some of my videos. It is a theme for several of our guests, so our community is is ready and informed. But if yes, you come and yes. see my content, you know that I am I am here to say the things that you want to say and that you can't because we are all thinking it. <laughs> yes. You're the training wheels exactly. for saying yes, those things yes. and then you know what everyone you're going to be saying them yourselves of course, one day. Thank too. you. Yes. Okay. Thanks Rachel. Hope we can do this again. Yeah. All right, everyone, that does it for another just enlightening and informative conversation and inspirational. Thank you for listening. Please share this with everyone that you know will benefit. So appreciate you being part of our community and bringing other amazing people to our community. Do your best to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.